0: Hey, Seacoast. By the time you see this, I will be in Israel. Now, most of you know that I tried to go there once. Debbie and I were going on a cruise ship, actually, and the cruise ship burned down 100 miles from Jerusalem. And uh, we kind of felt like uh, Moses. We could see the promised land, but we couldn't get there. Well, recently, uh, the Israeli government invited me to come as their guest. And uh, so I'm there with a few of my friends and hope to have some great stories to tell you when we get back. Uh, I'm excited this weekend to be able to introduce uh, somebody that really doesn't need an introduction, uh, my brother, Jeff Surratt. Uh, You guys love him, uh, and he and Sherry, of course, moved to California to be a part of the team at Saddleback Church, uh, working with Rick Warren there, uh, creating uh, a dynamic church planting ministry uh, all around the world. And we're excited for them. We miss them, uh, but we're excited for them. And so I want you to give just the best Seacoast welcome you can give Jeff Surratt as he comes to share with us this weekend. Can you give it up for Jeff?
1: All I ask is all, all I ask is you make this a little longer than you do for Greg when he gets back from Israel. <laughs> Got a text from Greg today and said the trip is just going really really well it 's everything that he expected that he can 't wait to get back. I am uh, just thrilled to be here with you this weekend it 's been about three and a half months ago that Sherry and I moved to uh, moved to California, and we have been uh, looking forward to getting back. We knew we were going to be back this weekend been looking forward to it for, for several weeks. I want to say hi to those of you who are joining us from one of our other campuses or maybe from the internet. I especially want to say hi to my favorite campus. You know who you are. Okay, I just wanted to <laughs> make sure that we we got that in. You guys doing good? You look great. looks like uh, you've been taking care of been taking care of things, moving to California has been quite an, quite an experience for us. I shared with you before we left some of the journey that we went through. It was uh, really a long journey a two hour or a two two year journey of of praying seeking god 's will, trying to understand what He was doing in our life and and then God really just revealed to us in interesting little ways um, along the way that, that we were Following the path that he had for us i don 't know if I got a chance to share before we left, but we we sold our house here in three weeks, which was just amazing and Then, when we got to California, we made an offer on a house right after Christmas. we applied for financing on January second and we closed on that house on january 14th and so that that was pretty much a miracle as well and so we 've moved out there we 've been out there for for a couple of months it 's an awesome opportunity. Um, just working with Rick Warren is, is, is a lot of fun. Uh, being at Saddleback and all the opportunities that we have, had a chance to meet some some amazing people, some good friends. And I, I tell you, one Sunday was particularly crazy. I, I, I uh, At lunch, I had lunch with a former special prosecutor Judge Kinstar, and then that evening Sherry and I went to a reception with former Prime Minister Tony Blair. So I thought, now, now I'm somebody, right? I'm <laughs> I don't know if you know it, but I'm a pretty big deal. Uh, Actually, I'm still nobody, but I work for a guy who knows a lot of people. So it's fun. We've been getting a lot of opportunities, but uh, being in California, great people, the the environment, the, the, the climate is amazing, beautiful, sunny, dry. Uh, You can actually breathe without swallowing water, you know, every time you breathe in. That's awesome. But there's some, there's some interesting things, strange things in California. Something I lived in the South so long that some things are just steeped into me. Did you know in California, you're not supposed to smile and wave at everybody you walk past? (laughs) I get the strangest looks. I'll just be walking through a mall or something. Hey, how you doing? And they're like, okay, arrest him. Him now. Stop, (laughs) stop doing that. Um, I got to tell you that the cost of living in California is stunning. Absolutely. We just go into stores and laugh. Gas is pretty reasonable though. Gas right now in California is 475. I'm sorry, 480. I'm sorry, 485, 499 a gallon. So when you fill up this week, just say, thank you, Lord, for not putting me in Orange County, California. The other thing, another thing we've noticed is when you order tea, it comes unsweetened. Did you guys know that? And if you say, I'd like sweet tea, they have no idea what you're asking for. They they, they don't make that. And there is a law in California against everything, okay? <laughs> I had to take a, a a test to get my driver's license out there. And it was just the most confusing test I've ever seen. And I just finally decided that if they ask a question, is this illegal, I assume yes. And I passed my driver's test. It's great, though. We're, we're, uh, we're learning a lot of things. We're growing. We're having neat opportunities. But those of you who have moved across country or moved from, from a place where it's very familiar to a place that's not, there just comes this, this point in time where the excitement's over, the, the, new, the newness kind of begins to wear off, and, and you realized this is the new normal for us. See, now we're there. Now we're 2,500 miles away from our kids and away from our our granddaughter and and there's no here to go back to. And so we wake up a lot of days and, and we look at each other and say, okay, this is good. We know God put us here, but now the newness is wearing off. And so now what do we do? What is next? How do we live the rest of what God has put us here for? You guys have probably experienced that at different times in your life. Sometimes it's a good thing that, that, that you've gotten through. Maybe you've had a new baby. And then you, after the baby is born in the hospital, and, and then you bring the baby home, and the parties are over, and then you go, okay, so this is our new life. Now what? Or maybe it's uh, when you get married, or maybe it's a new job, or maybe you move to a new place. And, and you realize, okay, life has changed. Life has changed a lot. Now how do I go... Forward in this new normal in my life. And it's not always pleasant things, is it? Sometimes after a funeral, you sit down and you know that. You you lost a loved one. It's often a long process. Maybe it was sudden, but you went to the hospital and and then people came around you and and there were a lot of friends and there was the funeral and there was all the arrangement that had to be made and you had to figure out all the things that were going to go on. And then the the funeral's over and the relatives go home and you go home to your house and you sit down and you go, okay, now I've got to live life without them. What's that going to be like? Maybe it's a diagnosis you get from the doctor and after all of the pressure of this is really going to happen, then you got to figure out how do I live with this diagnosis? Maybe it's a divorce and after the divorce, there's just a lot of times in life when you realize my life has changed significantly, how am I going to live in this new normal of my life? What I want to do this weekend, last weekend was Easter and I want to go back into the Bible because there's a, there's a great chapter in the Bible. We're going to take a look at John chapter 21. In fact, it's not on your outline sheet, but if you brought a Bible with you or if you have a, a smartphone with a Bible on it, go ahead and open it up to John chapter 21. Because when we w- w- last week was Easter and the resurrection, and Jesus has come back from the dead and all the excitement, and, and now the disciples have to come to grips with what does life look like now after the resurrection. Before we dive into that, would, would you guys pray with me this weekend? Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here at Seacoast. Lord, I'm, I'm, as I have always been, blown away to see what you do in this church and to see the people that are here and, and just the amazing lives that have been touched after, through the years in this ministry. And Lord, as always, it is a very humbling experience to stand on this stage. And Lord, once again, I am thankful that you have, in your uh, decision, allowed me to speak here. And so, Lord, I pray over the next few minutes, you will speak through me. Lord, that you will use my words and that we can grow and learn from you. And Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So now we look at the disciples and what's going on in their life. We're going to look specifically at Peter and how Peter addresses the rest of his life. Peter's life over the last three years... You know, Peter was just a common, ordinary fisherman. He was just doing his thing out by the Sea of Galilee. Jesus calls him to be one of his disciples. And Peter's life completely changes. I mean, crowds begin to grow and grow and grow. They grow to the point where there's 1,000, 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people following Jesus. And Peter is there right with him. And everyone wants to get to Jesus. So they want to get to Peter. And basically, Peter Peter becomes a rock star. I mean, Peter can't go anywhere without people saying, oh, you're one of that Jesus. You're with him, aren't you? And his life is just upside down. And there's excitement all the time. And Jesus is doing miracles, turning water into wine and feeding the 5,000 and raising the widow's son from the dead. And and then comes the, the trial of Jesus, the arrest and trial, and Peter denies him. And then he sees Jesus crucified on the cross, and his life is destroyed, and he doesn't know what he's going to do. And then, and then Jesus is raised from the dead last Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is back, and he appears to Peter, and, and he appears to the disciples, and, and Peter knows that life will never be what it was before. It won't be what it was in those three years. And now Jesus has already risen from the dead. He's already appeared to the disciples. And now when we come to John 21, Peter has to come face to face with the new normal of his life and what's going to happen. And what I want to do is I want to read through a good part of this chapter with you and make a couple comments. And then at the end, I want to look at three or four things that apply to us when we are looking at a new normal in our lives. So we'll pick up with with uh, verse two. It says, Simon, Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel, of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, Sometimes when I've heard this passage talked on, uh, preachers have kind of beat Peter up for going fishing. But the reality is Peter has to eat. His family has to eat. The only thing they know how to do is fish. And so they didn 't do anything wrong here; they had to live in the new normal and so peter said let 's let 's go uh, let 's go fishing and to fish all night and to catch nothing is a major deal if you 've ever been in a in a third world country where fishing is the is their main occupation they don 't fish for for recreation it 's not like going and fishing on the wando and not pulling anything in and being disappointed. They fish to sustain life, and to finish the night with no fish. This is a big deal. They don't know what they're going to do, what they're going to do next. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. See, they were about 100, yard, 100 yards offshore. The sun's just now coming up. And so they see someone on shore, but they don't recognize him. Jesus says, children, do you have any fish? This is kind of like just saying, hey, guys, how's, how's the fishing? You catch anything? they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. These guys had nothing to lose. I mean, they've, they've got, they have to catch fish. And so they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. They've seen this miracle before. Early on in Jesus' ministry, the same exact thing happened. And one of the disciples says, wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't just some stranger who's lucky at fishing. I know who this is. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment. You see, he had basically taken off his T-shirt while he was fishing. And now he put his T-shirt back on. And he he said he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work. And he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on la- land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And I think Jesus is making a point here. It's an important point we'll come back to in a minute. These guys have been fishing all night. They didn't catch any fish. Jesus says, cast them out and on the other side. They catch a huge catch of fish. We're going to see in a minute a monstrous catch of fish. But when they get to shore... Jesus has already cooked breakfast for them. He has already provided breakfast with fish that he already had. So he provides a huge catch, which will take care of them for a long time. And he provides the immediate need, which is they need to eat breakfast. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and and hauled the net ashore full of large fish. This is interesting. It says 153 of them. The Bible very seldom gives us specific numbers like that. And I wondered, why 153? Why did it say how many fish there were? And they thought about it. This is kind of the difference between asking a fisherman, hey, how'd you do today? And he says, hey, I, I caught a big redfish. Oh, that's awesome. And he says, I caught a 57 pound redfish. Oh, you had a big day. The writer is saying, this was a huge catch of fish. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. So with the fish. Well, this was now the third time that Jesus had revealed to this through the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Listen to this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus says to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my sheep. See, the last time Jesus and Peter had a one-on-one conversation, Jesus said, all of you are going to deny you even know me and you're going to run away. And Peter said, no, all of these guys may deny you, Jesus, but I love you. I care for you. I'm there for you. I'm your right hand man. Jesus, I would never, ever deny you. And then you know what happened? When Jesus was arrested, Peter was challenged, and he didn't deny Christ once. He denied him three times. That was the last conversation they had had. And now Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And there's no braggadocio in Peter's tone. You can hear it through the Scripture, can't you? You can hear the angst in Peter's heart. You can hear the sorrow. You can hear the just brokenness in Peter. And he says, Jesus, you know that I love you. You know, I love you. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it to him the third time. And Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And then Jesus went on and he told Peter what was going to happen in the future. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, listen to this, follow me. Now, Jesus just doesn't throw out random words. Jesus didn't forget that he had asked Peter twice and then asked him a third time. There's a reason he asked him three times, do you love me? And it's not a coincidence that Jesus uses this phrase, follow me. You see, when Jesus first met Peter and Peter was doing what? He was fishing, right? Peter has just finished fishing. Jesus has had a conversation. The first time he met Peter, he said what? Follow me. Jesus now says, Peter, do you love me? Do you? Do you? Follow me. Okay. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them the one who had been reclining at the table close to him, and then said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter said, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, focus. Don't worry about what's going on with other people. You and I, we're good, okay? We're good. Follow me. So I want to take just the the concepts that we have there in that conversation with Peter and just take a few minutes to talk about how does that apply in our lives when we're in that spot of looking at the rest of our life, at the new normal. Something has changed, a job or a baby or a marriage or something has changed in our life. And now how do we face every day and face the future? How does this apply to the new normal in in my life? And I just want to give you three or four things. The first thing that we do is re- we remember God's provision for our life. Remember God's provision for our life. You see, God knows what you need. And we all know that, but we don't think about that. We need to. Jesus was driving this point home with the disciples. He was saying, Guys, I know you need fish. I get it. You have physical needs, I'll take care of them. God provides for our physical needs, our physical provision. You see, Jesus provided breakfast. He said, guys, I know you're hungry. You've been up all night. I'll provide that. He knew that they needed to sustain themselves going forward. They needed more than just to eat today. He said, how about 153 other fish that you can sell and it will provide? God knows what you need. God knows that when you're in a new place in your life, it can be very scary. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe your finances have changed. And it can close in on you and you begin to think, Gas is $4.99 a gallon. I have to take out a loan to go to the store. This is crazy. And then you step back and go, no, God will provide. It says in Matthew chapter 6, don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. When you're in a new place in your life and this stress and worry of financial or physical needs comes in, God says, I'll provide. Maybe not in the way that you think that I will, but I'll provide. He also provides relationally. You see, I think in this chapter and is that Jesus' main focus here was to restore this relationship with Peter. If you read the book of John, it ends with chapter 20. Go back uh, today or, or, or later this weekend and read the end of, of John chapter 20, and you'll see that the book ends. Okay, John says, that's it, that's all. And 21 is a P.S., and it feels like Jesus said, almost, you know what? I'm done with my work on earth. I have been born. I lived. I performed miracles. I commissioned the disciples. I was crucified. I rose again. I appeared. One more thing, Father, before I go back to heaven. I need to make, up, I mean, I need to make sure that Peter's good. I need to go back and make sure that Peter and I are okay, that we are reconciled. Think about that. The Son of God has the universe to take care of. And yet he takes time to go to this one man and to make sure, Peter, I, I know what you did. And it had to hurt Jesus unbelievably. His closest friend denies him. But Peter says, or Jesus says, I want to make sure our relationship is restored. God cares about our relationships. In fact, look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. God God reconciled us I'm sorry God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God Do you notice any theme in there? Did you notice any word kind of jumping out at you a little bit? Anybody uh, just you can shout it out, a word that came out to you? reconciled. In fact, why don't you go through that passage and circle every form of reconciled in there. I think Paul's trying to get across the message, don't you think? When he said four times in one passage, reconciliation, reconciliation. God cares about your relationships. He wants to see reconciliation in your life. And the relationship he cares most about is the relationship between you and the Heavenly Father. And that's why he came and died and rose again was for the ministry of reconciliation to take you and the heavenly father and reconcile you. In fact, if you are not reconciled to God, if you are apart from God, living your own life this weekend, the biggest desire Jesus has, the biggest desire I have, the biggest desire the pastors at Seacoast, your campus pastor has is to see you reconciled to Jesus Christ. God provides, uh, God's, God's provision for our life physically and relationally. Secondly, remember God's passion for your life. God's passion for your life. You see, Jesus passionately pursued Peter. Peter broke Jesus' heart. Peter hurt him. Peter made mistakes, but then he denied him. But he did not give up on Peter. He passionately pursued him. And he's passionate about you. I saw this verse this past week. I had not really paid any attention to this verse in Psalms before, but I love this. It's Psalm eighteen nineteen. It says, He brought me out into a spacious place. Would you circle that word, spacious? He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because He delights in me. Circle the word delights. He brought me out into a spacious place. What does that mean, a spacious place? You know, I thought about An illustration, I would think, in in my life, uh, I have to fly a lot. I travel a lot. And a couple of weeks ago, I was traveling, and I got the worst seat on the airplane. If you travel, you know that seat, okay? You know which one it is, don't you? It's last row, right, next to the bathrooms. uh So there's a little aroma working the whole flight. Middle seat, okay? If you've never been in that seat, it doesn't recline, okay? You can't get out. You're trapped in there. I'm a little claustrophobic, Okay, I'm a lot claustrophobic. The plane is doing this. I'm in that little seat in the back, shaking like crazy. That is what life can be like without Christ. We can be hemmed in. It's not spacious. It's trapped. There's not a lot of choices. And then one time I was flying, and I got upgraded to first class. First class, not on these regular little planes you see, but on one of those huge planes, you know, with all the different... I'm up in first class. I don't know if you know this, but in first class, not only do the seats recline, they lay all the way out flat. Before the plane takes off, they came and brought me a little glass of orange juice. Then, when I was done with the orange juice, they brought me a hot towel. I came home and I told my wife I would be a better husband if you would bring me hot towels in the morning. (laughs) And she said, you're just going to have to learn to live without that. But it it was a spacious place. It was wonderful. God says that's what he wants for you. He wants you to have a spacious life. He wants you to have freedom. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. He is passionate about you. Why? Why does God want you to have that spacious life? Not that hemmed in life. Not that life full of stress. Not that life where you don't have choices, but a spacious life. He wants you to have that because in the second half of the verse, it says he delights in you. He delights in you. You know, the, the only way I can relate that, the delight that God has in you is the delight that I have in my granddaughter. Okay? I don't know if you remember, but I, now, I have a six-month-old granddaughter. She is the most beautiful granddaughter on the face of the earth. If you have a granddaughter, she's trying for second place because first place is sealed up. And we have been back here for about 24 hours, and we have spent every second possible with our granddaughter. And when she smiles, it's the greatest thing in the world. It's unbelievable. She's a genius. She can hold a cup in her hands. It's amazing. I've never seen a six-month-old can hold a cup like she holds a cup. She sleeps. She's beautiful when she sleeps. When she cries, it's like angel's wings. I mean, she is amazing. I delight in my granddaughter. I can just sit and watch her sleep. I can sit and watch her eat. I just enjoy and absorb every moment with her. God delights in you. He delights in you. You know, we hear so many times that God loves us that it kind of rolls off. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Did you know God doesn't just love you? He likes you. He likes you. He likes hanging out with you. He thinks you're pretty cool. And he wants you to have a spacious life. So when you're in this in-between place and you're in this uncomfortable time, this this place of, okay, this is the new normal. Now, how's the rest of my life gonna live out? Remember, God's gonna provide for you and God's passionate about you. He wants you to have a spacious life. He delights in you. And then the third thing we do is we remember God's purpose for our life. God's purpose for our life. Jesus repeated the question to to, Simon. Simon. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know, I love you. And Jesus said, then Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Three times. He said, tend my sheep, care for my sheep, feed my sheep. Was, don't you, do you think Jesus was trying to get a point across to Peter? Trying to get Peter to understand, Peter, Pete, Pete, right here, you and me. Here's the deal. I have a purpose for your life. You're not a fisherman. It's fine to fish. No problem. But that's not your purpose. I have a purpose for your life. It's to feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter with me together. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Got it? Okay. Maybe, just thinking, maybe because John included this chapter in the Bible, maybe it wasn't just for Peter. Maybe Jesus wanted to get across to you his purpose for your life. And maybe that purpose is to feed his sheep. Maybe he wants you and me to take care of his sheep. You see, your purpose in life isn't to be an architect or a lawyer or a teacher or a nurse. There's nothing wrong with those things. They're important. They're a part of your life. They fit into God's purpose. But here's the deal. If your purpose in life was to come and to be a doctor... If you stopped being a doctor, would you have no purpose anymore? Does your purpose end with your occupation? What if you retire? What if you're injured and you can't work anymore? What if you become a stay-at-home mom and you can't be a teacher anymore? Does your purpose stop? No. Your purpose in life is not to be a wife or a husband or even to be a parent. Parenting is very important, and I take so much joy in still being with my kids, even though they're adults now, but that's not my purpose in life. Because now that my kids have moved out, now that they're becoming very independent, do I not have a purpose anymore? If my purpose was to be a dad, if my wife's purpose was to be a mom, and now that role is kind of diminished, does her purpose diminish? Does mine? No, not at all. Because our purpose is to do what? We mentioned it a while ago. Anybody remember what our purpose is? We have some sharp people over here. Over here, a little doll, and up in the balcony, we know you're just uh, observing from up there. I mean, you're just looking down on us. Feed my sheep. Who are our sheep? Well, our kids are part of our sheep. Our family is part of the sheep. But the people we work with are part of our sheep, and the people we go to church with, and the people we're in small group with, and our neighbors in our neighborhood. Don't you think Jesus would sit down and say, Hey, Good job at work. Glad you got the raise. Awesome job. Great. Love that. Feed my sheep. Hey, you're raising great kids. That's awesome. Feed my sheep. See, God has called all of us to figure out who is the flock that he has put in our care. It's not just pastors or professional ministers. It's everyone who is a Christ follower has a flock. And our job, our purpose is to feed the sheep. And in this new normal, we can get so absorbed with what the new reality is, and we can get stuck on the past, and we can try to figure out the future, and we can forget that right where we are, we are to feed God's sheep. And then the last thing that we do is to remember God's plan for your life. Remember God's plan for your life. You know, we've used this verse at Seacoast over and over and over again, but it's still true. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God has plans for you. He has a future for you. In the new normal, you may be thinking, I don't don't know what the future looks like. I don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. That's what Peter said. He said, well, what about tomorrow? What about the future? What's next? What are we going to do? What about this guy? And Jesus said, it's cool, Peter. There's a future. I've got plans for you. Don't worry about it, follow me. Matthew six says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus kind of summed it all up for Peter. When you're in this place in your life where you're looking at a new reality and the, the rest of your life is going to look very different than the first of your life. Maybe it's an empty nest time. I don't don't know what it is, but but a change in your life. Here's a couple of things that you focus on. First of all, don't worry about other people. They're going to experience life differently. Peter said, well, what about John? What's he going to do? And Jesus said, don't worry about him. I'll take care of him. When we begin to look at other people and what's happening in their lives and take our focus off of following Jesus and what he's called us to do, we become miserable. So don't worry about others. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Well, I don't know how I can face this for the rest of my life. You can't. You can't. You can't think, I don't know about you, but when I start thinking about next week and next month and next year, it kind of caves in on me. All I can focus on is one thing, is today. And gang, <laughs> Jesus is enough for today. He's enough for today. He'll feed you today. He'll love you today. He'll reconcile your relationships today. He'll give you the strength you need for today, day by day, step by step. Don't regret yesterday. It happened. You made a mistake. They're gone. There was a fight. Someone died. That's hard. It was a great thing. Graduation happened. That's awesome. Don't focus on yesterday. Don't worry about tomorrow. Can't change it. Sun comes up almost every day. I mean, there's really little we can do about that. And so it'll happen when it happens. Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, focus on today. Can I be honest with you guys? This is my own, my own deal, my own life. But I just want to share with you a little bit that, that moving out to California in our personal lives has been the hardest thing we've ever done. We lived here in Charleston for 14 years. We formed relationships here unlike any relationships we'd ever formed before. We had two kids who grew up here and will for the rest of their lives call Charleston their home. We have a granddaughter here that that coming back and seeing her has been very very hard. Seeing you know from 3 months to 6 months is a, is a major change. We've taken on a challenge at Saddleback that is absolutely overwhelming. What they have asked us to lead is beyond what I can imagine figuring out and being able to lead. And there are days that I just feel overwhelmed. There are days that I think if I could turn back the clock, if I could just go backwards, if I could just redo this and and, and just turn everything back like Superman and go back to my house in Mount Pleasant and my job at Seacoast, but that doesn't help at all. And there are days that I think, I don't know what this is going to be like in a week, in a month, in a year. I don't know when is this ever going to feel normal. And, And I get way ahead of myself. And over and over and over again, as I've gotten up in the morning and I've had these thoughts crowd in my mind, I've heard God say to me, Jeff, two things. Follow me. It's all right. Follow me. I led you out here. Just keep following me. And second, today. Okay? Follow me today. You can't fix tomorrow. Who knows what next month will be. Follow me today. You know, gang, that's what I think the message is this weekend. So simple. You got to know God's going to take care of you. He is. He's going to take care of you. Why? Because he loves you passionately. He loves you more than you can imagine. He has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for your life. And all he's asking you to do, very simply, follow him day by day. Can I pray with you? Father, I pray for, for, for everyone who is either here or at one of the campuses or online. Lord, I pray that you will... Um, Just make yourself real to each of us in this time. Lord, I pray for those who are not reconciled to you. Lord, for those who don't know your purpose and don't know your plan and haven't experienced your passion in their life because they are still far from you. They have separated themselves from you. I pray this weekend, they'll pray this simple prayer. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my past. Lord, I want to be forgiven of what I've done and I want to follow you in my future. Lord, I want to be reconciled to you. Lord, I, as they pray that prayer in their own words, I know that the ministry of reconciliation will happen in their lives and they'll be reunited, connected to you. Lord, I pray for people who are here this weekend that are walking in a new normal in their life. For some, it's it's following some great stuff in their life, but the newness just it doesn't seem natural. It doesn't seem... doesn't seem easy. For others, it's coming out of some, some hard things, but for, for them as well, it's, it's hard to figure out, is this what it's going to be for the next month or year, or is this the rest of my life? For each one, Lord, I pray that they will feel your arms wrapped tightly around them, that they will know that you delight in them, you love them, and if they will just today put their eyes on you and trust you, that you will be faithful, and day by day, you will lead them. Lord, that's our prayer this weekend. We thank you. We know that you're faithful. We have no doubt that you'll take care of us. And so, Lord, we commit our life, our future to you. In Jesus' name, amen.